1: Welcome to episode number 80 of the Marine Layer podcast. We'll dive into the newest Shohei Otani rumors surrounding the Mariners. Is there going to be an all-out war in the Mariners organization between front office and ownership? And which Mariners position are you okay leaving as is? We'll also take a look around baseball with our MLB wraparound and close out the show with Speak Your Mind.
2: Here's your reminder before we start the show that if you're listening to our podcast, make sure to follow download and leave us a five-star review wherever you get your audio podcast those reviews the downloads they do help us out a ton so take a few extra seconds to do that watch on youtube where the full video podcast is like comment subscribe over there and follow us on social media we're on instagram tiktok twitter and youtube shorts at marine layer pod let's get it rolling
1: And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Thursday, December 7th in the evening, and we're going to kick off this episode by going straight to our most trusted source for baseball information. We're going to go to MLB Reddit. All right, Lyle, take it away. MLB Reddit's got Shohei as an
2: M, as a Mariner. He, he's coming. Didn't you read the news? As they say in New York, start spreading the news, except you're going to do it here in Seattle for Shohei. Haven't I always said I loved Reddit for two people that went to journalism school and actually have their degrees from the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism at Arizona State? Weren't we taught and haven't we always learned the number one trusted source is Reddit, especially when it pertains to things that go your way?
1: (sighs) Wow, you said you said it better than I ever could have, Lyle the context behind that go check out our social channels if you want lyle's instant reaction to this piece i i think i got the first reaction from it when you saw found this last night and you texted me and you're like oh my god oh my god i can't sleep now i'm like oh boy according to reddit there was uh on mlb reddit a a post here says there was a report out of japan by a veteran sports columnist uh, i'm let's see if i can pronounce his name correctly Uh, I think Sochi Hayashi Sr. I think I got that right. And posted it on Yahoo Japan saying that a lucrative one-year deal is to believe to be estimated to be $65 million for the designated hitter services for 2024 is on the table from the Seattle Mariners. $65 million for one season on the table to Shohei Ohtani. And that's with all of the mystery team rumors floating out there that there's one unnamed team out there in discussion and that the Mariners haven't had their name mentioned once in a leak. They haven't, and none of the front office people have bothered to mention it. And Ryan Divish, Adam Jude, Daniel Kramer want to ask people about Shohei Otani. They refuse to talk about it. Like Lyle said, if they're out of the discussion, why wouldn't they just bring it up? They're already out of it. Why does it matter? Well, because potentially if we put our tinfoil hats on here, there is a one-year, sixty-five million-dollar deal on the table for Shohei Otani. I'm going to put the odds of this being real at about five percent. Let's just start there and be clear: five percent that this is a real, truthful report that has that ha, that is realistic in this case. However, if this were actually how the Mariners were going to go around offering Shohei Otani. I think this would be a smart way to go.
2: That was like music to my ears listening to you read that. The Mariners, Shohei Otani, all connected. I couldn't stop smiling over here. Just like last night when I texted it to you at like 1230 and then subsequently went to bed at, I don't know, 2 a.m. because I couldn't fall asleep after thinking about it all. But yes, you're probably right. How much truth is there to this? We don't know. It could be 100%. It could be negative 100%. TJ's probably right that it's probably about a 5% chance that this is actually real and that the Mariners are actually thinking about this. But you got it. The Mariners want to separate themselves. Here's a great idea. They say, hey, Shohei, this is the year you're not going to pitch. We will still pay you, not just like you're a two-way player, but a higher AAV for one year than any other team would even touch in 2024 because we still believe in you. We will pay you that money just to DH this year. And what what could that result in, right? Well, it could result in the Mariners fall short of expectations, even with Shohei, and then he goes somewhere else after the one year. But Shohei Ohtani, as we've seen this winter, doesn't seem to love the spotlight. As we've seen his whole career, he doesn't seem to love the spotlight. He doesn't like being the center of attention. He's not some Scott Boris client who's happy to travel around, having everything get reported out left and right. He doesn't want any of it talked about. So... Are we sure he would want to go through something like this again? And I say that because, I mean, I sound contradictory because you're saying, oh, you're saying, oh, would he go go through something like this again? But he's signing a one-year deal. What I'm getting at with the Mariners is if he signed that one-year deal, he liked it here in Seattle. They won with him. They made some type of playoff run. It doesn't feel like a Juan Soto thing where it'd be like, yep, I'm going to go to free agency again. Probably not going back to the team I was originally with. And I'm going to do a whole free agency campaign again. No, if Shohei liked it here for the one year, it feels like there's a chance the Mariners might keep him, and he would be more than happy to stay, and he'd sign for longer. So maybe this is how the Mariners do it. As I said to you before we start this recording, TJ, ownership screwing Jerry DePoto, you've got players screwing Jerry DePoto, Kyle Seager never stopped trashing his name through all the years, all this flack that he has caught over the last few weeks, last few months, whatever you want to call it but he's having his Adam Sandler moment here in Uncut Gems, and he says,
1: this is how I win. You're waiting for that. I was waiting for that. You said how it makes sense on Shohei's side, and that does make sense. Let's make sense from the Mariners' side. Let's say the Mariners actually do have budget problems. Let's say that the RSN bubble, which has already burst, gets worse and the market significantly tanks and the value of the Mariners share of root sports tanks through the ground and the revenue tanks along with it okay so that paints a pretty dark revenue picture for the future for the Mariners television deal especially with them being locked into deals with the Blazers and the Kraken in the future so we take a look at future year bu- your year budgets so you know those teams are going to be Holding their broadcasting rights through, uh, I think the Blazers have one more season, the Kraken have two more seasons, if I know that correctly. But the revenue is uncertain beyond that. And I'm talking, when I say beyond that, I'm talking about 2025, 2026, 2027, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, going on. Okay. We don't know what our future budget is because cable is dying and we have tied a big chunk of our finances to cable. However, we do with a Decent amount of certainty, know what our budget is for 2024, and we would be we would feel comfortable with one abnormal amount for one season because we know we have a good guess of what our revenue is next season, not beyond that, but next season, yes. So we're okay upping the average annual value of a contract for more in one season for Shohei Otani rather than a lower AAV over more seasons in which we don't know what our future finances are going to look like. So because we know our finances for next season and we have a pretty good idea of that, we're more comfortable with a one-year deal to Shohei Otani. And I think that's the only way this gets done for the Mariners. Thinking about this more and having this, this Reddit idea come to us, this report. I mean, it really does make sense because it's been known all along the Mariners will not outbid the Dodgers. They will not out they'll probably won't outbid the Cubs. They probably won't outbid the Blue Jays. They will not outbid the Giants, and they will definitely not outbid the Los Angeles Angels. So you have to offer something else. Are you gonna get them to sign a three-year deal? Probably not. Uh, like probably not not in this cycle he probably wants something longer cuz like you said he doesn't want to do the circus again who knows how healthy he's going to be the next time he hits free agency but one season where he can focus on rehabbing his arm near drive line where he can put all of his focus into hitting and he can get paid like the two-way player he is to only do one of those things and that's all for the mariners to say hey please give us a shot We will show you why it is worth it for you to stay here and we can get a good estimate with the revenue you bring in in a single season, what the number we can give you after the 2024 season would be. That sounds pretty good to me, Lyle.
2: I like the way you're talking
1: right now. Uh, Just hearing you talk through this, there's
2: like more and more reasons why I'm starting to think maybe it's higher than 5%. Maybe there's a chance they could actually do this, especially when you mention the driveline thing you know he wants to have full control over that rehab and he wants to make sure it's done right. If he could be right near a driveline, go there all the time, I bet you that's a big plus. And like you said, he's not locked into being a Mariner forever. So if the Mariners weren't good with him, it's not another Angel situation. Man, that would be interesting. And again, there's going to be people out there that's like, I don't want him on a one-year deal. I want him on a 10-year deal. Yeah, we all want him on a 10-year deal. But guess what? He might not want you, the Mariners, on a 10-year deal, at least at the moment. So how do you get him here? Just get him here and figure it out from there. Because guess what? At the very least, one year of Shohei Otani is better than no years of Shohei Otani. And one year of Shohei Otani, I can't stress this enough, is much different than one year of Juan Soto, who we're going to get to later. Juan Soto was hitting free agency. Juan Soto was not signing an extension. Set, stone, sealed, delivered, everything. Juan Soto's hitting free agency. Shohei might too, but Shohei might not be so against the idea of returning. He could technically become a free agent, but say, hey, Jerry, Justin, let's work something out. Pay me fairly, and I will stay here. Just get him here.
1: You ready to jump deeper down the rabbit hole? The Shohei, we know ra- how, yeah, the Shohei we, rabbit hole? Yeah. So we know how he said it would, pro- by the end of this weekend, it sounds like he will sign. A, a guess to me. Like, by then you would imagine he will. So per
2: John Morosi, yes. There's been some other reports saying it could take longer. Who knows? It it sounds
1: like yes, but we don't know for sure. I will just say, the Mariners have announced their team stores will be closed on Saturday due to quote unquote system maintenance and will reopen on Sunday. Now, well, wow, what could they be doing with system maintenance? Sure, they could be updating all their computers they could be cleaning they could be reorganizing there's some players not on the Mariners roster that they might need to shuffle out there also could be some new ones that they need to add in deep secrecy before an announcement comes this weekend oh I don't know they getting some 17
2: jerseys ready maybe
1: yeah some, maybe some
2: old, they bring in some old Mitch Haniger jerseys back out with those that's what they're really doing with that maintenance resale
1: yeah, resale. They're scraping all the, they're scraping all of all of Mitch's uh, hard earned jerseys off, and just the nice Otani on the back of it. Wouldn't that be nice, dude? I'm
2: buying that jersey in a second if he if he signs here. Like, I can't keep a smile off my face this whole segment just thinking about it. I would sign. I would, I would get that jersey in a heartbeat. Even if it was for one year, like I don't care. He's, I'm getting it.
1: Anyways, so if anyone wants to actually go do some reporting for us, wow, you can do some reporting for us. You're up there. Why don't you go sit outside on Saturday, outside a team store? Look through the windows. Let me know what you see.
2: See, if there was still a Mariners team store at Bellevue Square Mall, which is not that far from where I live, I would actually do that. Like I'm I'm enough of a psychopath and currently don't have anything to do on Saturday where I would probably take the 15 minutes to drive over and actually like look through the windows and be like, well, can we see anything? The problem is, these team stores are now much further away from me. Where are they now? There, there's Alderwood. There's downtown Seattle. There, yeah, they're, yeah they're I, it, was
1: the, the, it was the Mariners team store at the stadium and then the one on, what, 4th Avenue? Mm-hmm. Like Stewart so, Street, right? That would, have been, that would have been close. If I was home, I could do it. If this was in two weeks, well, I could go do some on-the-boots reporting because that's not very far from my house. However, uh, I am unfortunately four hours away right now and I cannot do boots-on-the-ground reporting. So that's why we need you, our correspondent in the Seattle metro area, to, to get your boots on the ground, strap them up, and go do the reporting everyone else needs to. I guarantee you, Lyle, you will not be the only person doing that. I guarantee it. You know what? If this sounds
2: enticing to anybody listening, add us on Twitter. Say, hey, I'd go. If there's enough people that are interested in this conspiracy theory enough to actually show up at one of the team stores and try to look through the window... I'll show up with some of our fans and listeners, and, and we can all hang out together. See, hey, are they really cooking something up here? This is fun. I'm going to be honest. Maybe it's just because I'm so obsessed with the show, Hey to Seattle thing, but this is one of the most fun segments we've done in man forever. Maybe there's that's because there's been so much negativity the last few weeks. So I'm loving this.
1: And we all have to come back to thanking the number one source for baseball information for this opening segment, Reddit. Thank you, Reddit. <laughs> the first time we have used Reddit as sourcing it on this podcast and it checks out loud and it checks out. All right. I am very
2: interested to see what my emotions are going to be like the next time we record a podcast, because the next time we either record a podcast will be our normal Wednesday episode, or there's a certain emergency episode. We'll see. I guess we'll see. <laughs> All right. Before we get to our next segment, let's hear a quick word from our friends over at Pagacha's Pub 85. Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland, our favorite spot to go hang out with our friends, the best spot in town to go eat, drink, and watch some awesome sports. They have 22 TVs in the place. It's a bunch of fun. People are always there during college football Saturdays and NFL Sundays. Even with baseball being done, there's plenty to do. And if you show up during happy hour, have some pretty good happy hour specials there's some great happy hour specials what are they the happy hours are monday through friday 2 to 6 p.m and they include three dollar domestic beers four dollar manny's blue moons four dollar mac and jacks four dollar wells four dollar house wines get all that hang out with your friends go watch some games over at pagach's pub 85 in kirkland Well, the news of the week is obviously the quotes out of Nashville and everything going on with the Xfinity, Root Sports, Regional Sports Network news surrounding the Mariners. We talked about it a lot on Wednesday. If you have not gone and listened to that episode, you should. We recommend it. But there's still some more to kind of flesh out here. So after sitting on this for a couple more days and thinking about it, I've started to get more and more nervous. Why is that? Not just because of the revenue potentially going down or ownership, not spending. Because again, I think they're absolutely capable of spending and are kind of gaslighting fans or not kind of, they are gaslighting fans by saying what they're saying right now. But are we on a crash course for an all-out war within the Mariners organization? And I'm serious when I'm saying that. An all-out war between the front
1: office and ownership? If you think about it, you don't you don't normally it, you don't normally see some of the some of the comments come out about about budgeting. They're very small, they're very slight, but when you you hear Scott Service say, These are the cards we've been dealt, or Jerry DePoto saying, Oh, two weeks in, stuff changed for us, you know, not like saying there is an issue without saying it. He he is definitely saying an issue. These guys are are professionals, they know are professional talkers, they know how to do it. I don't know if we're quite at that point because we have seen what a true mutiny looks like, or at least within an organization. We can talk about the fans all we want, but within the actual organization itself, Jerry Dipoto already did this in his career once. Before he was the Mariners' general manager, the reason he resigned in Anaheim is because he had no power in the organization. It was Mike Sosha and, um. Artie, Artie Moreno. I can't believe I forgot that. I'm a fucking idiot. Um, and Artie Moreno essentially controlled the roster moves. And Jerry's like, what the hell am I supposed to do? Like, I'm a GM, but I have no power to actually make personnel decisions. So he resigned. Jerry now has full power to make personnel decisions in Seattle. The problem is he does n- not have full reign to do what he wants, I would imagine judging that the moves he's made early this offseason regarding the budget. And this has not been the first time the Mariners have pulled back the budget on him after initially saying the budget was going to be higher. They did it after the 2020 season. They did it after the 2021 season. And they also did it after the 2022 season. And as I mentioned on Wednesday's episode, all the way back in 2018, they did it to Jerry in 2018. Instead of wanting to add on to a team that was winning games, they said, nope, you got to... Go within your budget restraints. You cannot go above this number, and that costs the Mariners a playoff spot. Eventually, Jerry's got to be frustrated with what he's doing. He's getting paid handsomely. He is a president of baseball operations of a major league baseball franchise. His paychecks look great. He has a great position. He's doing exactly what he wants to do in his life. Is he entirely happy how it's all playing out, though, and the meddling from up top with how the, the ownership is structuring his budget and restricting what he can do after he pitched them this idea of let's rebuild. And once I get all this young talent in there, we can finally spend. And then once that moment comes, they're like, yeah, actually, no, we don't feel like spending. And he hates it. So this might just be the first moment of this. I would pay very close attention to Jerry DePoto's sentence structuring and his appearances on the radio and Just his general tone when talking about his budget and his job and his roster and all these other things, because I really wouldn't put it out of the question of how frustrated he would be as a general manager who can't fully do his job under the restrictions placed by ownership above him.
2: And his patience is starting to wane. We heard it in the quotes this week. We probably didn't talk about the quotes from him and Scott as much as we should have on Wednesday, but both of them sounded pissed off. We talked about Scott's quote about saying the hand we've been dealt and all that stuff, but the way both of them sounded, they did not sound happy. Jerry did not sound happy. It was the closest I've ever seen either of them to publicly throwing ownership under the bus. And that signals to us that there is really a lack of patience all of a sudden. There's a frustration building up within that front office, within the baseball ops department, within Scott's service, and maybe his coaching staff as well, that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're holding up their end of the bargain, but there's only so much they can do if they are not granted money to be freed up to make the decisions they want to go and make. They're doing this with one hand tied behind their back. And let's be very clear. Jerry Depoto is not asking to spend Steve Cohen type of money. I don't even think Jerry Depoto would choose to spend that type of money. I think he wants to spend. I don't think he feels like it's necessary to spend like Steve Cohen. I think all he is asking this ownership group to do is give me the reins I need. Give me fair reins like a Major League Baseball team that is competing for a World Series that makes a lot of money that's top 10 in attendance. Give me the budget that a team like that with all these young, exciting players is supposed to have. And I will take this over the top. I will get you into the playoffs again. I will get you deep into the postseason and to a World Series and win that thing. But I need help. And he's not getting it. He can't win a title by, be, by being given $20 million this offseason in a pivotal offseason to try and change this franchise. That is impossible. Who do you think the best GM in baseball is right now or best president in, in baseball? President of baseball, Andrew,
1: Andrew Friedman.
2: Andrew Friedman, Alex Anthopoulos. You want to say Theo Epstein, even though he's not in the role anymore? Those guys couldn't do it with $20 million either. There's people all the time fire to Poto, fire to Poto. I'm sick of it. He's not perfect. But if you think there's somebody else that would come in here and thrive with that payroll, no way. So again, Jerry's not perfect. But like we said on Wednesday, if you've got issues with the Mariners, I'm going to use this phrase again climb up the ladder and take it up with ownership. That's who the real enemy is. I'm using another another pop culture line here again. Hunger Games. Remember who the real enemy is. It is not Jerry. It is not Hollander. It is not Scott Service.
1: It's the ownership. And where Lyle's getting that $20 million number, Adam Jude wrote a piece in the Seattle Times today. He was talking about the new coaches hired. Tommy Joseph and Brent, uh, Brent Brown officially hired this week. And in the article, he he, he speculated. Um, I, I don't know if this is a hard number. It's hard to ever get an actual estimate. The actual estimate will be what they end up spending this offseason. But Adam Jude said, in quote, the club now has roughly $20 million to find suitable replacements for its 2024 lineup. I have a newsflash. They will not find suitable replacements for $20 million. They will not. You know what they, they could do? They could make that trade with the Rays for $20 million. The combination of Paredes... And Randy costs about $11 million, but that's on the most, the highest optimistic side, the most optimism there. That's, that's it. But outside of that, it is going to be very difficult for Jerry. If he, if he only has $20 million, which by the way, would go against what Jerry said he had available, where he said he envisions the payroll being higher next season than it was in 2023, $20 million would put the payroll at 137 million. And that is definitely not higher than what they had last year in their payroll. So that's where Lyle got that number from. What I'm referencing with the, the promise of future spending for Mariners ownership, here's a tweet from Shannon Dreer back in 2018, just following the season. DePoto, when he was talking about future spending, he was talking about the 2019 season upcoming at this point. He says he still believed that payroll would be in the 140s, even though they sucked. But then after that on future spending, we feel like we'll put ourselves in the position that when the young team uh, is on the field, that the team can use free agents to finish a team rather than build one. The problem is once we have gotten to this point where the Mariners need free agents to finish the team, the bill has not come. We've seen this before. I mean, we, we have with, with crummy ownership. And if, if not that, we see executives get picked off. From franchises, it might not be a mutiny, but guys getting hired from the Rays and hired from the A's to richer organizations to go work somewhere else. The the magic sauce that built the roster of the small budget teams of the Oakland A's and the Tampa Bay Rays go shipped off, uh, go get shipped off somewhere else. Like Andrew Friedman was a Ray until the Dodgers were like, "Yeah, we're going to buy you away," essentially, and now Andrew Friedman has unlimited resources to go operate the Dodgers and he's done a phenomenal job just like he did in Tampa Bay as well. So there's a, there's a lot here but I mean no it's in summary like no I I'm not wouldn't be surprised if there's tension there. But until there's actually action we would never know or unless there is a really deep dive by a reporter who's willing to go above and beyond to dig out some information about all this.
2: I'm looking at you, Ryan Divish. If anybody's going to do it, it's probably you or it'd be one of the national people. So maybe they can do it. I will say this, by the way, I, I, this is another thing I really wanted to get out there this week. I've just got to go out and say it. Ownership attempting to project what their payroll is going to be in 2024 based off this whole Xfinity thing and the whole regional sports network thing is sad because this is not about the money you currently have. You're projecting the money you're going to make based off Xfinity changing Root Sports and putting, on, putting it on the premium package rather than the normal one. Can I throw a crazy idea out there? And I'm being totally sarcastic because this is not crazy. What if we get three weeks into the season in 2024 and Xfinity says, whoa, nobody wants to move over to the premium package for Root Sports. We upped it to an extra $20 a month. People aren't paying. Now we're losing money. We thought we were going to gain money from this. We thought people would just shift over no matter what. It's not happening. This is bad. And after a few weeks, they decide, you know what? This isn't worth it. We're going back to the basic package. Everybody has access to watch the Mariners again on Root Sports. No premium package. You get it no matter what. If you have Xfinity and if you have the basic package. Let's say that takes three weeks. Let's even say it takes one month. You're not losing that much money off three to four weeks of not having games on the basic package of Xfinity. So let's say they change it back. Do you know how fucking foolish this ownership group is going to look if that happens? Because then you will have wasted all off season, not spending any money. Shohei, gone. Yamamoto, gone. Blake Snell, gone. Juan Soto, for all we know, he could decide He's going to be a Yankee the rest of his life. He'll probably hit free agency like we said. He will, but he could decide he'll be a Yankee the rest of his life. All those guys will be gone. So then what happens? You would have wasted all offseason spending money on nobody just to lose minute and marginal money off the first three to four weeks of the season. And if that happens, oh, you think ownership looks bad now? Think about how ridiculous they're going to look if that goes down.
1: That was impassioned.
2: Yes, but it's been it's been another passionate show. It's two in a row. We were passionate on Wednesday, and between Shohei and between all this stuff again, we're passionate again today.
1: You're right. Okay, so let me jump in here. Let me say a couple things, and I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on what you said a little bit. First of all, Xfinity needs to make money on this too, and I'm like they ran the numbers on what they assumed they would make moving this up a tier. And I don't think this would be something they would cut or or turn back on, what, six months into doing it. That doesn't really seem logical. Six months in business is not a very long time. That's two quarters, six months. So after two quarters, like the losses would have to be astronomical for Xfinity for them to consider moving it back. And remember, this is only one channel. Xfinity deals with hundreds of channels. They are, in fact, a cable company. Not just an RSN, they are a cable company. They worry about more than just Root Sports. So, I don't think this would be a decision they would make in just six months. That doesn't sound realistic to me. They don't operate just in the interest of the Seattle Mariners. They operate in their own interests to make money. Second, there's uh, dog, two entire sports seasons going on right now airing on root sports that people can't see right and, and that, that are on the premium tier that would not be moved down, that the Mariners and root sports have invested significant amount of money in and again, if it's on the premium tier right now, not, not when opening day comes around, right now, then that revenue's not coming in.
2: I feel like the Mariners have a bigger draw than the Blazers and Kraken here in Seattle. I mean
1: on root sports, yes. You're you're right. No. but it doesn't it doesn't matter because they already they have to they have already paid the Blazers and the Kraken that money for the right seat. They pay a yearly fee of what thirty million dollars ish. I think a little bit more for the trailblazers. Like that money's already paid. So they have to make money on that. That's the point. They gotta make money from commercials now. It doesn't matter what the rate, the the ratings, yes, are their issue. Like you say, well, the Mariners get a higher draw. Well, yeah, but they're still paying money for the Blazers and the Kraken because they own the network. These have to be good business investments. If they're not good business investments, then we see the shit they're doing right now. All I'm going to say is
2: if there was enough pushback on this, where enough people were not switching over to watch the Mariners. Like, this is not going to happen, right? But if they were legit getting 100 views a night because nobody wants to switch over their their Xfinity package, they would have to do something about it. That's what I'm getting at. Will it happen for sure? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not not saying they'll switch it back. I'm not saying everybody's going to boycott. I'm saying if it were to happen and then if Xfinity actually made the decision to flip it back to the basic package, ownership would look ridiculous because then they would have wasted all offseason off an idea. Which goes back to my original point that I was making Wednesday and I'm saying now is, is stop letting this whole thing trick you into the idea that ownership can't spend. They have money. They can go spend money. Yeah.
1: I think you're banking that people, as soon as they move it back to the basic package, will re-sign up for cable. And I think that is flawed thinking. For this age oh. of, of, of consumption, like, it's not happening. So people who care about Root Sports enough to watch, right, and to give ratings to Root Sports – they watch Root Sports when it's on the basic package. Once it gets moved to the elite tier package, they're like, okay, I'm done. Xfinity membership canceled. And Xfinity comes back. He's like, oh, by the way, we're putting it back on the basic package. And the person who has already subscribed to, I don't know, Fubo or YouTube TV is like, no, I'm good. No, I don't need to sign back up for cable again for you guys to meddle in channels uh, and all this stuff. No, I'm, I'm good. Too expensive. Don't want to worry about it. I like what I have right now. Like you're going to have to, you'd have to buy back. You would have to sell back your own fan base to purchase your product after the, the product you already have. Like you'd already be operating at a loss of loss of fans for this subject. Like I, I, just I guess can't I was- you can't just assume like the stream of people will immediately come running back to Xfinity and start paying these cable fees again to root sports, which again is the root of how they how they make money on this channel. They pay what the ever, the eight ten dollars a month directly to root sports to watch the channel. But that's like, uh, that's no promise that that would happen.
2: No, it's not. I guess I was thinking about the idea of all these people that already have Xfinity. They hear the option of, Hey, are you going to switch the premium package so you can watch the Mariners? And they'd say, no, I'm going to stick with my basic package. I'm not upgrading to watch the Mariners. And then as a result, if enough people did that, they bring it down. But maybe you're right. Maybe people would just change TV providers and maybe they go to Fubo or maybe they go to YouTube TV and then the Mariners are in, running into the same problem that we're, we're yeah. talking about here. But th- that's more what I was thinking about is is if
1: nobody switches their plan over. We got to move on here. But like one last point, in my, uh, like people don't watch that much on cable anymore. That's why it's going defunct. The main the main consumption of cable is cable news and cable sports. Pretty much like that's it. If you're not watching cable sports, AKA most people who really care about this, watch the Mariners and mostly. And once the Mariners are gone from their sports package, they're like, well, I can get ESPN plus for cheaper and watch all my ESPN channels without an issue. I can get YouTube TV and have all the watch the NFL, the NBA, et cetera, without any issue. So, and like the cable news people watching, like I guess, <laughs> but yeah. it, it just like it's not. I, I would say like buying back your your fan base is 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 not a guarantee. But you're you're right. They would kind of look stupid for for marginalizing their payroll. They're stupid for marginalizing it even now because again, we come back to the point. It was their decision to buy at the peak of RSNs and watch it crumble like buying fucking blockbuster. The Mariners are essentially blockbuster turning down buying netflix or vice versa but like essentially that's what it is or if you just want to switch it around the the mariners are essentially an investor who invested a shit ton of money in blockbuster in 2008
2: there you go and you know what like again i can't stress this enough even with the tv stuff they have made money in so much of it other places so Mm -hmm. stop tricking people into thinking you don't have money and nobody knows what regional sports networks are going to look like in a couple of years. This isn't just a Mariners thing. This is a baseball thing. There's a ton of teams affiliated with Bally Sports that have lost their TV deal. This could be a league-wide issue. So if you're the Mariners, stop worrying about the future. Spend to win right now. Figure it out
1: later. And, and another reason, one last thing here, why the Blazer deal and Kraken deals are so important. Remember the Mariners TV revenue is revenue shared. Remember that. Major League Baseball TV money is pooled and split up evenly in the revenue distribution, which, by the way, the Mariners are a revenue recipient per all the per the compensatory draft picks they get for QOs. They are a recipient. So they receive the pooled television money from Major League Baseball. They receive more than they give. But again, that is banking on the fact those other two broadcasts make money, which, again, they do not share on root sports which is why that's important and why if they're making less money than they paid for then it's a bad investment
2: I can't believe we're in the middle of the off season and we're wasting our time talking about the nitty gritty of the business of the sport rather than just how about you go sign some players like we just waste sorry I shouldn't, I shouldn't say wasted these were all important things we talked about but I can't believe the Mariners are making us spend all this time on this podcast on other radio stations this week across the nation talking about this bullshit when we could just be talking about what players you could sign. And shout out to Mike Salk, by the way, because he really went on a pretty great tangent on Wednesday over on Seattle Sports, friend of the pod, Mike Salk. He, he ripped them as he should, as everybody else has this week, as we have, as national radio people have, as national TV people have, as players have, as agents have. Everybody, like Everybody's ripping this ownership group. So how many more people do they need to hear it from? And I think Mike Salk did a great job really formulating it
1: well he's not usually overly critical either he's usually i would say right in the middle and more on the optimistic side so when i saw most of the tweets say when you've lost mike salk you've lost everybody <laughs> that was pretty accurate but he he said everything that needed to be said it, it he w- he's a pro for a reason he he did a fantastic job okay so let's get to our final mariners subject lyle the mariners have four holes they need to fill in the roster both corner infields, third base, DH. If you were going to pick one of those positions to, fill, uh, to not fill, which one would you leave as is? You mean two corner outfield spots, right? I think you said corner infield. Okay, sorry. Two corner infield spots, third base. Outfield. Third time's a charm. Two corner outfield spots, there we go. third base, and DH. Lyle, of those... Four positions. Which one are you leaving as is?
2: There we go. And to your credit, to be fair, I mean you could make an argument for a fifth spot at first base, but it just seems like the point in the off season we're at doesn't really seem like they're doing anything with Ty France. It, it appears he will be the team's opening day first baseman from what we've gathered. So, to the four positions we're talking about: two outfield, third base, DH. There's a couple different ways you could go with this. What I said was left field, and what I mean by that is. Letting Dom Canzone be the everyday left fielder and figure it out. And why this all ties together is because, again, all the money topics we've been talking about here on this show, it all ties together. Because if the Mariners are really going to have such a limited payroll, they're going to have to use their money wisely. And the likelihood of filling all these four positions, sad to say, but it's probably unlikely. So now we're thinking about, all right, which are we most okay leaving alone? I say Dom zone. and I say that because I think the upside of Canzone, the potential of Dom zone, is what you can buy. If he is the one question mark in your lineup, I'm okay with it, but I think the other three spots
1: would be much bigger issues otherwise. Jerry came out and said they wanted to acquire one and a half outfielders. And the half was supposed to be essentially a platoon bat with Dom Canzone, which would lead us to multiple platoons. And Lyle and I will riot. But in a realistic case, this actually seems like it's going to happen. And I don't think the Mariners traded for Dom Canzone last season and trading Paul Seawall to the Diamondbacks for him to sit Dom on the bench and have him play twice a week. He was going to play more often than that and... That seems like it's going to be the case this season. There is a lot of optimism with this bat. He hits the ball extremely hard. Lyle, do you know actually who baseball savant thinks is the most similar hitter to Dom Canzone in baseball last year? Do you know who that was? I'm mean, going to say Mitch Hanniger? Bobby Witt Jr. What? That yeah. can't be real. No, by Stackhouse, he was. It's like hard huh. hit rate, like launch angle, like like uh, like good contact percentage, like pop-up rate, like all those things. Bobby Witt was the next closest. Wow. Look, I, I, I think it was like 81% similar. That's pretty good. I yeah. like
2: that comp. Look, I, the reason we say Canzone and the reason I said Hanager is my guest there is because he gets compared to Mitch Hanager all the time. The idea of kind of forgotten about prospect or lower-end prospect, older guy coming up through the system and absolutely crushed baseballs through every level of the minors. And then once they got to the big leagues, despite being a little bit older, they figured it out. And Mitch Haniger, at age 26, his age 26 season, that's when it all clicked. His first full big league season, when he was in Seattle, that's when it all came together. Where's Dom Canzon at right now? He's about to enter his age 26 season. Similar to Mitch at age 25. Those two kind of had an up and down 20, 30-ish games in the big leagues in their first in their first stint in the majors, and they figured it out. I can't promise the two are going to be exactly the same, but considering Dom Canzone last year in the minors was maybe the best hitter in all of minor league baseball and put up a 151 WRC plus, I like rolling the dice with him a little bit better than I do with leaving Luis Urias at third or having some combo of Deloach, Trammell, Dylan Moore, and Sam Haggerty fill the right field in DH spots.
1: There's another thing, because we have precedent on this. Precedent Lau. Big courtroom term. You know what precedent is, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. There has been precedent sent by one Jerry DePoto of an in-season acquisition in which he traded his closer to another Western region team and received younger bats back. Mm. And in this previous scenario. This other said bat got way too much run on the major league roster, almost stubbornly way too much run on this roster. However, he was forced into the lineup to play a significant amount of time in the 2021 and 2022 seasons. Now, who might I be talking about?
2: Who might you be talking about? I I can't figure it out. Like, did, did you ever, did you
1: ever have much investment in this guy? Hmm. You know, when the Mariners traded Kendall Graveman, they got back this guy, right? His name, um, Abraham Toro. Yeah, back in the AL West with the with the A's, right? You know, with yeah. the A's, by the way. Yeah. yeah, right. That's it's his that's his perfect team for him. He played too much. And it seemed like Jerry would refuse to say he was wrong in that acquisition. And boy, he was because he came out and said, however many times, man, I love Ape Toro. This dude's going to be good. Or really like his young, his upside, his young talent, everything he's got. He's so versatile. Yada, 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 yada. He sucks. Dom Canzone in 2023. The Mariners have a closer. They trade him to the Arizona Diamondbacks and get back. An older, yet MLB-ready prospect who Jerry was talking up when they traded for him. Man, we love Dom. His hard-hit profile is great. He's going to be a, have a great future as a Mariner. We insist on playing him a bunch. And that's it. And with Jared Kelnick being traded... You have your young left-handed outfielder now, and this is it. And you have a young left-handed outfielder who doesn't strike out a whole lot. 17% strikeout rate for Dom Canzone last year. Mariners want to make more contact? Dom Canzone makes a lot of contact. Fits with the philosophy, fits with the precedent, and the batted ball data would suggest that, you know, don't be surprised if Dom Canzone could put up a 105 to 110 WRC plus next season in the outfield for the Mariners. Not amazing but he has the tools to be a productive big leaguer.
2: And I think I would roll the dice that he can do that, if not a little bit better. Again, this is when Mitch Haniger broke out, and we know Canzone can hit. He hit at every level of the minors, and he crushed it. I would trust that more than 162 games of having Dylan Moore and Sam Haggerty and maybe Cabby, Jose Caballero, at the DH spot again. So let's let's play this out somewhat. Let's say the Mariners, with their with their, $20 million, trade for Isak Paredes, trade for Randy Rosarena, and you said that would cost them about $11 bucks, right? Yep. And what if, at the DH spot, they went and got Jorge Soler? Again, he'll probably cost a little more than that. Maybe you can backload the contract. Maybe there'll be a little bit more wiggle room. Maybe they can offer him... And An extra couple million, and instead of it being a twenty million dollar payroll, it was a twenty two to twenty three million dollar payroll this winter. And you give Jorge Solera the three year forty five ish million dollar contract he's looking for, I'd be okay with that. And then your one hole is Dom Canzone in the outfield, rather than if you go trade for Randy, trade for Paredes, and sign an outfielder, and then you've still got Demo or Sam Haggerty or somebody like that DHing. I like that first play. Tommy was
1: still available? Oh god.
2: <laughs> Imagine <laughs> yeah, if they I brought him up. back.
1: You, you know that <sighs> we talked mutiny. Mutiny and insurrections, there would be one. I promise. <laughs> um I do like like the off season you just laid out works. I think people would be happy with that. I yeah. I really do people think people would be happy with that, and I think the Mariners would be a better baseball team than they were in 2023 if that lineup would stay healthy. Now they got to go do it. They need to put the pedal to the metal and make it happen. And, of course, if they mix in a one-year $65 million deal for Shohei Otani, I think that would work out too. I won't complain. <laughs> so, Dom, I, owns complain. Final answer. I do have one last nugget on, Dom. Did you realize he slugged like 900 against fastballs this year? past year. I know he hit fastballs well.
2: I know he hit fastballs yeah. well.
1: He slugged 878 against fastballs.
2: I, I think there is a lot about Dom Cam's own that is similar to Mitch. And Dom's not going to walk a lot. We know that. But you know what? He hits the ball really hard and he's got power. If, if it can click for Dom Cam's own, I am okay with that being the one question mark in the lineup. I am okay with the lineup looking very quickly to roll that potential lineup out there. Cal at catcher, tie at first, Rojas and Urias, platoon at second until bliss gets up. JP at short, Paredes at third, Dom in left, Julio in center, Rosarena in right, and Soler DHing. Yep. I am more than okay with that lineup. I would, if they go into opening day with that lineup, I will sit here and say they had a successful off season. They are set up to win. Now the offense is better. They strike out less. They have more power.
1: Great. Great. All cheers to that. (laughs) Love before it. we get to yeah, before we get to our MLB wraparound, a word from our friends over at Simply Seattle, your go-to place for all your holiday shopping. Christmas is coming up, guys. Christmas is well, we got three weeks, three weeks till Christmas, right? Yeah, three weeks till Christmas. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So you got to get your holiday shopping done, and I mean like pronto. So when you are listening to this, if you are still struggling for a gift idea and you have a friend a family member, a colleague who loves Seattle sports or loves gear themed around the Pacific Northwest, go check out our friends at Simply Seattle and use our code MARINE15 for 15% off your order. Lyle and I have already received our Simply Seattle gear for this winter. It's fantastic. The gear is top-notch. You can't miss it. I got a Seahawks hat, a Seahawks throwbacks hat that you've seen here on this podcast. I wore it last week. And I also have this awesome Sonics crew neck. I'm not wearing it right now, but it is amazing. And I got that using our code Marine15 at simplyseattle.com. And you can go do that too. Huskies, Kraken, Mariners, Seahawks, Sonics. All that you could want. Go to simplyseattle.com. Use our code Marine15. Get all your holiday shopping done at simplyseattle using our code Marine15 at checkout. Okay, let's get to our MLB wraparound. Up first on the MLB wraparound, the Juan Soto drama has finally concluded. The Padres ship him off to New York. He is now a Yankee, and the Yankees now possess. Wow, what a 2-3 in that lineup they have now. I do not. uh, I I, I, I sympathize with pitchers who are going to have to go through a healthy Aaron Judge and a healthy Juan Soto in 2024.
2: They really did it, didn't they? This trade was in talks for weeks, then talks stalled, then even when it sounded like it was going to happen, for a few hours it got held up, but it happened. Juan Soto's a Yankee, he's going to be spending 2024 in the Bronx, and that Yankees team and that offense just got a whole lot more deadly. I'll say that much. Even, even with Alex Verdugo going over there too, which was in a different trade, that team's getting much, much better than it was a season ago.
1: Wasn't it funny to be online and watch uh, the 24 hour window when it was just Verdugo and, and people were pissed? Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> they, thought that, they thought that meant the Juan Soto trade was done. And then you flip over a day later and oh, arguably the best hitter in baseball now yep. he's a New York
1: Yankee. And all of a sudden, their outfield's pretty deep. So we have, uh, you mean, Verdugo, Soto judge and Trent Grisham as well who comes over in the Juan Soto deal he'll mix in at center field for the Yankees not going to hit a whole lot but he'll be in there and I really to be honest looking at the package the Padres got in return the the centerpiece was Michael King the Padres think he can start he was a reliever last year for the Yankees he's been a pretty good reliever for years and years looking at that package um, yeah I would have done it if I was the Mariners for a like-minded package for Seattle I would have sprung on that in a second. I would have had zero issue giving up what is required to go get Juan Soto.
2: I'm right there with you. What do we think that would have costed on the Mariners end? I was trying to even ballpark a trade. Would we say it felt like Emerson Hancock, maybe a reliever and a couple of mid-tier prospects?
1: Just about, yeah. The the real winner in all this are the Washington Nationals. I mean, highway (laughs) robbery. The difference in package for Juan Soto in a year and a half is astronomical.
2: Now, my money is on that Juan Soto spends the rest of his career as a Yankee. I think when he hits free agency next year, even if there's some touring and some talks with other teams, I feel like in the end, he is going to be a Yankee and probably sign a huge contract there and spend the rest of his career there. That being said, could you imagine if he goes back to the nationals next year, when they're right on the brink of potentially getting really good with all these prospects, that would be the greatest fleece job in the history of the sport.
1: Could then AJ Preller finally be fired.
2: Ooh, that do you think Juan Soto's signing with the nationals is what would do it? Like if Juan Soto re with the Yankees it'd be like, okay, AJ Preller, you can keep your job. If he goes and, and signs back with Washington. No, now you're fired.
1: I mean, what more is it going (laughs) to take? How much more? How much more attrition can this happen? Can happen to the Padres for him to get fired? It's got to happen. It's got to happen soon. This man has been through more ups and downs than any GM ever, and now their roster is in a state of financial ruin. Their owner is dead, and like. Where's the security blanket for AJ? Not only are the money money bags gone, they had to take out a loan to pay the roster this year, but they're not exactly getting any younger and not getting any more optimistic for the future. Not at all. I I,
2: I don't know what he's. I don't know what is keeping him in that job. I, I wish I was in the Padres front office to be able to find out. But yeah, you have got to think times ticking. I feel like if if they don't make the playoffs this year, I don't know how he sticks around. I just don't. I will say, though, for the, Yan- for the Yankees side with Soto, let me propose a question to you, and I can't take credit for this. It was our friend Peter Apple, friend of the pod and co-founder of Just Baseball, who put this out there on Twitter yesterday, and I thought it was kind of an interesting debate, and I figured I'd bring it up today. Would you rather have the one-two of Aaron Judge and Juan Soto or Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman?
3: <sighs>
1: for just next year
2: we can say going forward or or next year, whichever you want.
1: Man. Healthy, you know, I'd take the Yankees.
2: Okay, so, so here's what I said. Offensively, I'd take the Yankees. I would take Aaron Judge and Juan Soto as hitters. Overall, I might lean toward the Dodgers, and I say that because of the injuries, because Aaron Judge has had a hard time staying healthy, along with the fact that Not only does Judge not always stay on the field, Juan Soto also plays atrocious defense. And then when you factor in Mookie might be the best athlete in the sport, aside from that guy Shohei. And then pairing him with Freddie Freeman, I think I might take the Dodgers. The overall package of the Dodgers, I like a little bit better because of Mookie's defense, because those guys are almost always on the field. But if it's just offense, I would take the Yankees.
1: If Juan Soto signs an extension with the Yankees, I mean, we're going to be talking about Two teams, the Dodgers and the Yankees, who pulled off absolute heists to grab marquee players on the block with few, few to one year of control left. Did Mookie only have one year left? One year? Remember? remember. Yeah, it was one. It was okay. So one year left of control to then sign them to monumental contracts after and potentially aging gratefully uh this is a this is a piece of advice to all general managers and owners in major league baseball if there is a mvp caliber player who you think would be willing to sign an extension with your franchise and he's out there for any sort of price um trade for him and don't think twice it can cost your best prospects for all you care if you're getting
2: an mvp who's already an mvp and then he's going to sign an extension what are you waiting
1: for? It might not even cost your best prospects. I mean, Alex Verdugo is now a Yankee. <laughs> yeah. He was the marquee one of he was the one of the the Mookie trade. Unreal,
2: absolutely unreal. It feels like at some point in time, if Soto stays there, maybe we're finally set up for a Yankees Dodgers World Series at some point. Maybe we're finally going to get it if that Yankees rotation can stay healthy and if Carlos Rodon can stay healthy.
1: That's a big if.
2: Big if. Speaking, uh, not speaking of ifs anymore, I should say, this is now sealed. Eduardo Rodriguez, he is now an Arizona Diamondback. He's got a four-year contract under his belt that he signed for $80 million bucks, and that Diamondbacks rotation. That's getting pretty interesting. Teams that lost
1: their TV deal can spend money? Really?
2: Who would have thought? The Diamondbacks did lose their TV deal to Bally for those who don't get that reference. So, yes, they can. Yeah,
1: they did. And they only get 80% of their their TV deal through Major League Baseball. And yet, huh, $80 million. And if they go out and sign someone else, they'll be pushing their record payroll for their franchise. Huh. Interesting. I I didn't know teams are allowed to do that. Uh, anyways yeah this rotation's amazing Zach Allen Merrill Kelly who really burst onto the scene in the playoffs he, he's been a veteran for a while but really shined in October and then Eduardo Rodriguez who arguably had the best season of his career this past year 3 3 ERA and a FIP just above that at three six six 6 and 152 and two-thirds gonna to go to more of a hitting environment in Arizona opposed to Detroit but I mean He did suffer an injury in the middle of the season for the Tigers that kind of hampered him, but he was getting off to an amazing start. And I think the Diamondbacks are really buying into that Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be pitching at the top of his game and they don't have him under contract for that long. So they don't have to worry about paying him, you know, Garrett at the end of Garrett Cole's contract, for example. No, like Erod will be signed for the prime of his career. He's 30 right now. So he... He'll be pitching at the best of his game while he is an Arizona Diamondback, and the Diamondbacks are essentially fortifying a strength of their team to complement the young hitting core they have as well.
2: I'm going to throw Brandon Fott into that rotation, too, who I know if you just look at his big league stats for the regular season, that is, yeah, it wasn't that impressive for his rookie year, but similar to what you're talking about with Merrill Kelly, look at what he did in October, and he was a pretty high prospect. We saw the upside that Brandon Fott had through the Diamondbacks playoff run. And I think he's going to be the number four guy in that rotation next year. And I think he's going to take a big step and be pretty damn good. So that Diamondbacks rotation all of a sudden with those four looks really good. And another thing with Eduardo Rodriguez, when he's healthy, he's been pretty consistently a three to four war pitcher who keeps his teams in games, who puts up ERAs in the threes, who puts up consistently good year after year. And to only cost 20 million bucks, it's not that much. For a starting pitcher on the free agent market who is pretty sought after, it's not that much money.
1: No, it's really not. So one, they now have, if they all these guys pitch at the top of their game, they have one of the best rotations in the National League. At least give them a chance to compete with the Dodgers eventually. We'll, we'll have to see, but what? Speaking of the Dodgers.
2: Eduardo Rodriguez is getting booed when he goes to Dodger Stadium now. Yeah, he
1: is the only player ever to to be a Detroit Tiger and decide, yeah, I would rather not play for the this version of the L.A. Dodgers. Just one of the most bizarre decisions ever.
2: <laughs> but... Bizarre. Bizarre, but if you watch Dodgers fans' reactions to it, you kind of got to chuckle. And now yeah. they're going to get their chance to boo him.
1: Yeah, but he'll boo and be like, yep, 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 <laughs> yep. Come at me. If you're watching on YouTube, you know, if you're, if you're not and if you're listening to this and you don't know what I'm doing right now, then that's your sign to go subscribe to our YouTube channel and watch. Please go watch. Okay, the final thing, Lyle, on our MOB wrap round. This regards the Mariners as well. Uh, Jamer C- Candelario signing a three-year, $45 million contract with the Cincinnati Reds. I think the Reds have too many infielders now, Lyle. You smell a trade coming? Hmm, I don't know. They have six in what? They have six infielders for no five infielders for three spots. I smell an issue. Spencer Steer, Kelly, Elvi
2: Marte, Jonathan Mm -hmm. India, Jamer, and Matt
1: McLean. Oh crap. Six. (laughs) Six for three spots. (laughs) Yeah. No, you said you said six. I said six at first, then I went down to five. I left McLean out of my notes, actually.
2: That's okay. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to play all those guys. Somebody's probably going to get traded. It feels like it's going to be India from all the rumors. As we've talked about on this podcast, I... Steer clear. Not, yeah, I hope it's not here because <laughs> I don't I don't buy that profile one bit. So, yeah. Now, Jamer Candelario himself just relates to the Mariners a little bit because some people suspected that when they traded Gino away, they thought maybe the fit would be Candelario. It's not the case. And for... Three years, $45 million? That's not a terrible contract. That feels like one the Mariners could have given out. They decide not to do it, and they still have a third base hole to fill. But Jamer, he's going to a hitter-friendly ballpark. He's going to a team that's going to compete. He's going to a core of young players that's really fun, and infield that's going to be good. It makes some sense for
1: him. Remember how we were talking about spending money? We talked a lot about spending money on this podcast. The Cincinnati Reds have spent $87 million this offseason. Hmm. The
2: Cincinnati Reds, the hmm. same team that just a season ago, the beginning of 2022, told your fans, "Where are you gonna go? You have to stay and watch the Reds. There's nobody else for you to go watch." That team is now spending money. Interesting. But the team, but the team that has Julio Rodriguez on it, no, they, they can't spend money. Has that, that Jerry Dipoto team... ever
1: ever signed a hitter to a three-year, forty-five million dollar contract? Uh, no, no, has he's he ever not.
2: Signed- has he ever signed a hitter to a two-year contract?
1: He has not signed a hitter above seven million and one dollars period.
2: And he has not signed any of them for more than one year. Correct. Huh <sighs> man. Well, congrats to Jamer. He got his money. He's put up three of the last four years. He's been really good, and he's probably going to stay pretty consistent in Cincinnati. All right. That's our wraparound. Let's get to speak your mind.
0: Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise.
2: Well, we've had a lot to talk about this week, but is there anything else that's on your mind that you'd like to talk about? I just have
1: one question, Lyle, that we can debate. Did the college football playoff committee get it right? If you wanted the
2: best two games, yes. If you want it based off what the criteria is supposed
1: to be, No, that's my two cents. I'm just going to say I'm not complaining. Yeah. I'm not. This is what you get when you have a playoff that is owned by a television network and conferences. Every other NCAA championship is run and all the rights are run through the NCAA. The one sport that is not is college football. So when you let ESPN, form a committee, own the playoff, own the bowl games. This is what you're going to get. This is what happens. Do you think ESPN, after watching that national championship last year when they sold all that advertising and watched TCU just get shit pumped? I don't know how else to describe that. Shit pumped. 65-7 to to Georgia. And said, yeah, we can't let this happen ever again. We cannot let a team that we know has no shot into this playoff. And there might be some merit to that. There might, there is absolute, sorry, there might be absolute reason to be frustrated with that. A hundred percent. That's not how playoff works. It doesn't matter like perception. It doesn't matter recruiting rankings. It matters what you do on the field. However, this is college football. In case you didn't notice, college football isn't exactly logical. It never has been logical. I mean, shit, they used to, Decide the national champion after bowl season. They used to, the AP used to sit there and decide, hmm, who's going to be the national champion this year? Oh, okay, we'll decide on you. You won the national champion this year. That's how stupid the sport is and how illogical it is. So I don't know how we can expect this season and the final year of the fourteen team playoff that everyone's just up in arms about uh, and pissed off at the decision it made. Florida State was mad, sure. But I, I can't say as a college football fan, like I'm that sad to see it. I mean, I think we're going to get two great games on New Year's Day, and that's what ESPN wants, and that's what they've decided upon.
2: I just realized we should probably give a little bit of an explanation in case there's anybody out there listening that does not know what's going on. The college football playoff was decided. The four teams are going to be Michigan, Washington, Texas and Alabama. It's in that order, one through four. Florida State went 13-0 and 0 and were left out. And a big reason for that is they lost their starting quarterback a couple weeks ago to a season-ending injury. Florida State fans, for obvious reason, are furious. They went undefeated and missed the playoff. That's never happened. So that's what we're sitting here talking about. So I'm with you. Yes, college football is not, it's, it's not a normal sport. It, like in most sports, it's like, here's what you do. You get into the playoff. College football is totally subjective with its playoff. You can argue college basketball is a little bit like that too, or some of the other college sports where there is a selection committee and they pick the team, but there's enough teams in those other sports, like men's and women's basketball, like some of the others, where if you miss, if you miss out, it's probably on you. Because if you miss out, you know, there's something you didn't do in your season and you lost too many games. In college football, you can go undefeated and miss the playoff because it's four teams. So, yes, if it was about the criteria that they usually use, Florida State would be in. That's what they should have done. But if we're talking about picking the four quote-unquote best teams and getting the two best games in the semifinal and then a good national title game, they got this right. It's going to be way more fun to see Alabama than Florida State.
1: Does ESPN understand the ramifications of their decision? You know why I say that? What is Florida State going to do now that they've been left out? What are the next three years for Florida State going to look like now that they have been told their league was not good enough? I don't know. What, what do you think they're going to do? Leave. They are going to do whatever, po- whatever is possible to get out of their agreement with the ACC, and they're either going to go to the Big Ten or they're going to go to the SEC. They know they're good enough. They know they draw enough TV eyeballs. And this decision made by the committee, I think, just finalized it. The ACC will, in its current form, will probably dissolve because of this decision. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, you think I'm crazy? Like, no, I, no, I guarantee you, this is it. Florida State and Clemson have been looking for a reason to leave the ACC forever. The ACC, by the way, if you're not up to date on on college football television contracts, signed one of the worst deals ever. In 2016, they wanted security. They signed a 20-year grant of rights with ESPN. Twenty, your grant of rights, by the way, is saying that the only the only way you can make television revenue is by being in this league, or the league. Sorry, the league gets all your television revenue and distributes it back to you. That's what it means. So the ACC gets about $30 million a year. However, the SEC and the Big Ten now will be approaching $100 million a year once their new deals kick in starting next season. And Florida State's like, huh, we know our brand's good enough. We need more of that. So now that not only has the television money been reflected back upon them and their league and the the deteriorating performance, but now the committee has also said the teams in your league are not good enough. The perception of your league is not good enough overall because – if Florida State went 13-0 and 0 in the SEC and won the SEC without their starting quarterback, Lau, well, are they in the playoff? Oh, they're in the playoff. Bingo. So Florida State realizes if we want to have a successful future in college football or however this sport looks in the future, we got to leave this league. And it's starting now. I guarantee you they got lawyers going. They're trying to find any way possible to get out of that grain of rights and leave to a bigger conference where they know if they go undefeated in that conference, they're into the playoff and they're guaranteed money. Now, do I say, does ESPN understand the consequences? Well, if Florida state goes to the sec, then ESPN's like, Oh, great. We just got Florida state in the sec. That's perfect. Another marquee brand under our umbrella. What if Florida state goes to the big 10? ESPN doesn't get any of that. They law, they lose all of that. And then they lose the ACC. Now, who knows what the rest of the shuffling around would be? I think Oregon State and Washington State would be jumping back into the discussion then with the members of the ACC that have now disbanded. But that's for a conversation later down the line. But I just hope ESPN understands what they did with decision and all the ramifications that will happen because of it.
2: You know how else this could have been avoided to stay on this topic? And now this will be my speaker, mind. Should have had a 12-team playoff this year. <laughs> yep
1: because then Florida State's in sure do you know what else would have solved this issue Lau if we had the BCS the BCS still existed would have been the easiest decision ever Michigan won Washington two national championship in the Rose Bowl boom perfect no arguments no arguments from anyone it would have been the easiest decision ever let the computer pick it would have been the easiest decision ever but instead well, because we had this four-team playoff and five power leagues, yeah, you're asking for it. Well, that's no
2: fun. Two teams in one national title game. I want what did I say the last time we talked about this? I want more meaningful games. So that would that would be it. And then Alabama's still in, then Georgia's still in, then Texas is still in. Nobody's complaining. You're in. And again, similar to the college basketball thing. If you're going to be mad about, oh, who's 12, who's 13, who's 14, that gets to the point where you didn't do enough in your season. This was in your control, and you lost.
1: I don't want to just rehash this argument because we've already argued about this. I, know. But we, I will say have- I did really enjoy conference championship weekend, and I would be very disappointed that it really wouldn't mean anything for any of the teams playing in it if that was the case. It would The SEC championship, by the way, tickets were going for, what, 550 bucks at cheapest? what the game would it'd be, would be meaningless. They could have played all their backups and both made the playoff. Oregon and Washington could have done the exact same thing. Played all their backups and uh, played all their backups, made the made the made the championship. Texas could have done the same thing. They could have lost a game and they would have made it as well. I mean, you see where I'm going with this? Michigan could do the same thing. I mean, that's what we're talking about. I did very much enjoy confer- conference championship week. It was a bunch of great games.
2: That being said, you would get a lot more games that would still matter if you did the expanded playoff. Because what, like, there's a week in the NFL where most of the backups play. It's like the last week of the season, so it's not that different.
1: It's di- completely different seasons.
2: They are. We were talking se- about
1: conference championship weekend. Well, that's true. That part, yes,
2: that is supposed to mean the most. <laughs> Yeah, but conferences are going away at this point. Like, it's so different now. Like I, I feel like, I feel like we might be getting to the point where conference championships aren't even really a thing. It'll be a 12-team playoff. It'll be these new conferences. And then it's like the NFL. It's like the final week. All right, guys
1: sit. If I wanted to watch the NFL, I would watch the NFL.
2: Well, that's out of my control. I, <laughs> I, I, am, I am simply a TV watcher. And I would like to watch meaningful games. I know, I know. We're going to have to agree to disagree on this because we were on different ends of the spectrum on this argument. That's okay. I did like what you had to say about Florida State. I hadn't really thought about it that much, but that is a good point that maybe we're going to see a changing of the guard. It would make a lot of sense. I'm sure we'll be talking about the playoff in a couple weeks, so I'm sure when those games play, play themselves out, you'll hear us talking about it and I'm looking forward to it. All right. I think that just about wraps up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full-form podcast, you can do so wherever you find your audio podcasts. If you do that, make sure to download, give us a five-star review, and follow the show. Those reviews and downloads help us out a ton. You know what else helps out a bunch? If you watch on YouTube, full video podcast is there. You can like, comment, subscribe on YouTube, and follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts, at Marine Layer That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. Talk to you soon.